Hi, and welcome to How to Ruin Dinner, Conversations from the University. This is your host, Mary Trays, and I'm here with two lovely co-hosts today. Valana Dundina Doolin. And Gabe Melson. And Gabe and Valana are here not just as co-hosts, but they are here as graduating seniors. I mean, we are graduating, right? Uh, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what is there outstanding s- s- situations? We're all good on my front. Yeah, as long as I, prov- you know, provided I pass my classes, we okay. should be good. But there's good. no question about that, is there? I think we're both no, pre-certified at yeah, this point, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, I think we are pre-certified. Okay, so good. So there'll be no surprises here. But one of the one of the ideas that I wanted to do with this podcast is have conversations at the university, but also sort of highlight what students are doing and what they are getting from their uh, university educations. And Valana and Gabe are both art history majors and Yes. Well, I'm an interdisciplinary. I do. I wrote my thesis in the art history department, but I'm an interdisciplinary major um, with a focus in medieval studies. Yes, I knew that. Now that you correct me, I knew that. But Gabe. Just plain and simple. (laughs) And you have developed a friendship over your years. So I'd like us to hear about your work and about your friendship and where you're headed next. So take it away. Yeah. Would you like to you, start? Yeah. Okay. You, I think we would probably both start at the same place, right? Yeah. Orientation. We, orientation, yep. absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that would put us back to August of 2019. I guess right? so, yeah. Sounds right. Yeah. So yes. you got to spend your pandemic years at university. And maybe you can remember, as we go through the conversation, maybe you can talk a little bit about what that did to your experience as well. Yeah. I think it's impacted us probably in ways we aren't even aware of yet, but mm-hmm. we can definitely try to grasp. It, yeah, I can certainly speak to um, how it affected my ability to perform in school. Like, I I had been doing pretty, pretty well my entire, like, college career up until that point, and then I ended up having a semester where I got, like, two Fs, and then it just like really, I don't know. Yeah, um, I. It was interesting for me. I've I've had not gonna lie. I've had my fair share of um, you know incompletes and mm-hmm. an F or two. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think that's really just a part of, you know, these COVID years. Yeah. Um, Do you also think? I, I mean, I run into this a lot with students who are super worried about their grade and what the F is going to do to them. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if, you know, having gone through that, did it help focus you? Did it make you a more serious student in some ways? Did it pull you up and make you reconsider your goals? And in that way, was the F more impactful than an A would have been? Mm, I want to say that it motivated me, but it also compounded a lot of stress. And I, it took me a couple semesters after that to, to I think, put myself back in a position where I felt like I was doing doing well. Um, yeah. 
So for me, I um, I got my my F uh, later on. It wasn't I, I did pretty well through COVID despite just all of the sort of trials, I suppose. Um, for whatever reason, I was able to perform okay. Um, but in 2021, that's when I got an F for the first time. And I think it definitely made me get, um, I don't want to say more serious because I was already a pretty serious student, but it made me more alive to just the possibility of failure, which maybe I hadn't really considered before Mm -hmm. in that way. Um, So it was definitely like a sobering moment for me. And I ended up retaking that class and getting an A in it. So that was pretty fulfilling for me. It was a really big goal of mine to to do that. Yeah, I'm retaking a couple of classes right now that are actually from that semester, I think, where I got the two the first time I got the two Fs. And I'm finally now retaking those classes. So I think it can be a shock to some students' systems who have always done well in school and think of themselves as good students to find out that they, they, there are different requirements and different levels of effort at different points. So that's one thing. But on the other hand, it's not the end of the world, right? Yeah. That your career doesn't come crashing down around you. You, you know, you're not any smarter or dumber than you, when you, before you had the F, and I just, I think it's probably grading, grades in general are tricky to understand their impact and their importance, which is much less than maybe we consider them to be. I mean, that being said, I know people want to go to graduate school. I know that on some level, your transcript matters. But maybe on a personal level, it's an opportunity to take stock in one's priorities, in one's interests, all that stuff. Yeah, definitely. I I um I think that for me at least, I um I well we both want to go to grad school. Mm-hmm. Um so just speaking to my experience, I felt like it was gonna be up ending, right? Like I was like, oh my God, like I'm stained forever. No one yeah. will ever want me. I, I'll never be able to get a PhD now. Like, um, and then there was also like, I don't want to say guilt per se, but a certain level of responsibility I felt to the professor at that time that I, you know, I really looked up to. And um, it was an online class too. So it was, it was pretty easy to like not interface and to check out. Um, but I also am learning to be a little more tender with myself and acknowledging that like, I've had a lot going on, like, for a really long time. And um, I know, like, everyone has, right? But I think that just says more about, like, knowing your limits and what you can take on at once. And um, that's definitely what it taught me was just, like, how much time can I really devote to something? And, and to be more realistic about that and not so much, like, idealistic. And and to be resilient, right? Yeah. That The importance of resilience is not emphasized heavily enough, in my opinion, um, that, that getting back up and getting back on the horse and getting an A, right, That that's more going to be more valuable, I'm going to guess, than if you had gotten that A the first time. Yeah, I think that redemption was really, um, I think that was an integral part of forming a relationship with that professor, was just having her see me, like, 
perform at a different level than she had seen before. And um, so I think she understood. Yeah. And I think that this has been valuable in that it's taught me how to fail um, Mm -hmm. without constantly making excuses, um, without feeling like people are going to see me in a different light, like as a person, um, and like feeling like my, my individuality is at stake in some way. But I, I, um, I, I do think now I'm in a much better position to face failure just because I, I've, I've been through it so much that, that it doesn't seem like that big of a deal to me anymore. That's yeah. not to say that I'm okay with it, but Right. Lala, should we confess our relationship? Yes, we should. I think we should, yes. <laughs> I think that's yours to confess, not mine. Oh, well, you see, so... <laughs> well, I've taken you two times. Yes. Yes. Uh, the first time, my first semester, um, I was a freshman. I don't really remember much of that. I don't I, remember I, what it was either. Was it Old Testament? That was Old Testament, yes. Yes. It was Old Testament, and I think I did fairly well for a freshman. I, I think I had some, some issues with my writing that actually I am indebted to you, Dr. Trace, for making me a better writer. Oh, good. Really, good. honestly. Glad to hear it. Thank you. Um, I, <laughs> it was pretty painful, actually, now I do remember. I wrote an essay, and you were like, Falana. <laughs> Stop trying to write like you're Foucault. <laughs> that sounds right. That sounds like a freshman problem. It is a freshman problem, yeah. To all the freshmen out there. Yeah. You're um, not Foucault. You're not Foucault. And neither do you want to be. Let's yeah. be clear about that. Is that a common belief that freshmen hold? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think so, really, I do. At least in, you know, the religious studies department and... I don't know. But I, um, yeah, I, 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 I will never forget you telling me that um, the best way you can say something is in the simplest way possible. Clear. Yeah. Clarity matters. Yeah. So, and then I took you again, I think, two year, two or three years later. Yes. Uh, New Testament. Yes, I would think it was a, a year ago. Was it? I think it was last, was it last semester? I think it was two semesters ago. Oh, well, anyway, let's get to the punchline. You didn't do the work. Right? I didn't do the work. No, I didn't give you my final essay. Yes. <laughs> but see, here we are sitting here, and yeah. it's been a, a really great relationship after that. So that concern around failure that you're going to disappoint someone, I, mean, I think in general, faculty, are, we see a lot of students. What we're interested in is growth. And seeing a student perform well thereafter. And, you know, I knew you and I had a lot that we could talk about. Mm -hmm. And I knew your interests were deep. And so I'm happy to work with you again. You know, right? it did not diminish my um, enthusiasm for your work and your interests. I mean, was I disappointed in you? Sure. 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 But um, but that, you know, that's not a... A major concern. So um, (laughs) that's our confession. That's our little secret that's now out in the open, right, Valana? Yeah, it is. And I I think it just, you know, and that's what I meant by saying, like, I've learned not to equate my ability to get work done with me as a person. Yeah, that's that's good. And to be, as Gabe said, that idea to be um, 
to seek redemption, now that we get to bring religious words into this, <laughs> um, to, to seek redemption through work, right? And um, to not just beat oneself up, but to really look at it and sit down and get back on the horse and get to work is part of what I think you can learn at college. So it's mm-hmm. an important part of your college experience insofar as you come to know yourself and your interests and your work ethic and your capacities, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's what college is for. I mean, you get these four years to try something out, you know, yourself, kind of try yourself out in some ways. And I think it's important, too, when we fail, and it's really hard, and it took me several years to learn this, but not not to be embarrassed, yeah. You know, you have to be able to own up to it, talk about it, and that's the only way really to, to go get, through it. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the, just the shame it, that can come from the event itself is a lot. And so it's like yeah. keeping that in, I feel like, just makes it even worse. Um, yeah. It, it wasn't until fairly recently where I really um, felt the transparency that I have now around my failures and successes even, um, and just talking more candidly and openly about the things that I do well and have done well and the things that I don't do well and the things that I haven't done well and what I'm working on. Right. And And putting it out in public is one of the ways that you can hold yourself accountable, right? It's It's a big part in being honest and true to yourself. And when we think about that philosophical idea of know thyself, um, part of it is putting it out in public, I think, and not hiding it you know, even from yourself and by right. never talking about it. Yeah, because we all have, you know, we all have things that we're good at and things that we struggle with. Yeah. And it's important not to, it's important, I think, to isolate those things from, from like, your own self-value, your own um, sense of self-worth, um, because they don't reflect on on that I don't you know yes I think I do yeah well I don't want to I mean I am going to lighten the mood a little yeah and let's let's move on well I was going to say I mean I'm going to expose my own hypocrisy here I don't think I ever told my mother (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay mothers don't want to hear it anyway so that's okay we're gonna forgive him for that one except she's probably gonna listen to this now she very well might oh dear (laughs) okay hi mom Um, well let's let's do get back to your um, you were, I think Gabe was going to tell us when you two met and about mm-hmm. your yeah. work. Um, so we'll get back to that discussion. Orientation, actually. Yeah. Yeah. We were sitting, they had us sit down on the ground in this circle. And me and Gabe were directly across from each other in the circle. I don't remember, remember this at I all. I do. If I was at 6 Take- p.m., you were at 12. Okay, take this, take that part of the story away. Because I remember when we were in the classroom in that advising building. Um, of I course, I, I don't know the the building numbers, but um, classroom. I just remember. I think we both had that sort of like still in high school angst about mm-hmm. us um, being at orientation, and I I know we definitely thought we were intellectually superior than everyone in the room. <laughs> well, definitely. <laughs> no, that's I, another common. Misconception of freshmen, right? I, I I will agree with that. Me, yeah. And we both came from ACE, so and for anyone who doesn't know, uh, anyone listening who doesn't know what that is, it's just, it's just essentially a college prep program um, 
It's really common in Florida. Cambridge. It's through Cambridge uh, assessments. Um, And I think that, like, made us feel like we had foundations in the humanities that, Mm -hmm. like, we're spread grand. Hence the Foucault. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Writing style, emulation, what have you. Um, And so, yeah, we were were at orientation. And um, what was really funny is that we had to go around the circle and say something about ourselves. And you said that you wanted to move to New York soon. And I said I did <laughs> And we both wanted to flee. <laughs> and here you both sit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad you didn't make it to New York. Yeah. Um, oh, God. Yeah, that's – I mean, I think it really just speaks to the angst I, I felt. But, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, that's a whole other subject, really. Yeah. Well, um, keep – Keep talking about your work and how you got into your field. And um, I know you've both finished, just finished your thesis or mm-hmm. are, are almost Will finished. Will they ever your be thesis. finished? Yeah. I, yeah. It's kind of At just... some point, you do have to hand them in again, get well, graded on them. So, yes, they do get finished. So we both already handled ha- handed them in last, last fall. Um, the short conference-length versions. Yeah. And uh, – so that requirement well, has been met. Yeah, so the thesis is turned in, but I, it's not at the place where I want it to well, be. Well, that is an important um, idea to discuss, the way in which that really forms a starting block for the rest of your work, especially as you go into graduate school. The idea would be that you would build on that and explore dimensions of it that a conference-length paper doesn't allow for. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, even just beyond the conference length, I, and I think that's something I hadn't really, you know, you know, when writing it, I just hadn't considered that it might not ever be finished. Right. Right. But I guess that's very much like a later development in your, if you're an academic or a researcher, like just understanding that like the work goes on and that like, yeah, you can only produce so many like finished prod project products from one topic and like, those are going to take fold in different iterations, and that's just like a constantly evolving process. I, I guess. mean, one of the one of the things we talked about with David Jaffe is being an autodidact, right? And he was talking about changing topics. All for him, that's been a major part of his career is moving from topic to topic. And the example of that is worth noting, right? As you come to the end of your academic. Uh, you know, college career and move into academia from the other side of it as as a researcher and a scholar, that you'll expect that you will change topics um, or broaden topics or or narrow them, right? That that's what it's about. Yeah, I, I think I'm still very much learning my field for mm-hmm. sure. Um, I feel like Valana just knows like so much about <laughs> her discipline that like she could probably tell you right now where she sees herself, what kind of work she's producing. and But I, I think I'm still figuring out really where I lie, I guess. Um, less so with methodology, but just more so um, visual culture, art history, what have you. Let's. I think we should talk about our work so far. Let's introduce what we've done. Yeah. Do you want to go first? Um, sure, I can go first. Uh, so I have... For several years since at least being in high school, been very, very interested in medieval literature. And so I planned for, for several years years to um, 
to go on to get a PhD in probably 12th and 13th century French courtly literature. Um, I want to be a manuscript specialist. I want to work with illuminated manuscripts. I'm interested in, in questions about text and image, um, manuscript culture, the production of manuscripts, the economy, manuscripts, production. Um, what My thesis that I'm still working on finishing, um, the title of it is um, The Tent Maiden, basically. Say it in French. <laughs> Le uh, Femme du Tente? <laughs> Je sais pas. Oh, La Dame la Licorne. Wait, the um, the tapestries. Um, so La Dame la Licorne and um, gender representation and courtly romance, basically. Um, and I discuss an archetype of late medieval romance, which I refer to as the tent maiden. Um, and I use different examples: uh, La Dame la Licorne tapestries. Um, Percival, a story by Chrétien, one of the original Arthurian romances. Um, and I discuss, I, I use her to talk about issues like gender representation in medieval art and literature, um, questions of, of violence and love, violence, um, romantic violence. Um, well, the, the violence of romance, yeah. Not romantic violence but yeah um chivalry yeah and you've done some feminist work as part of that interpretation that at least that's what i know um yeah certainly i i i think it's important to talk about the tent space as a space which is innately feminine in the works that it appears um in this canon um i think the um i think the tent is a space which is controlled by women in a lot of these narratives that i talk about so yeah that's that's what's of course of interest to me mm-hmm. yeah yeah um but yeah, so I, I see myself kind of expanding on that work in the next few years and, and maybe um, working more in the Tent Maiden or just working in Arthurian Arthurian romance in general. That's really what I would like to do. So, yeah. So, Gabe, your turn. turn. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I – um, it's interesting for me to talk about because I, so like my dream of going to New York, I was going to go to the School of Visual Arts. I was accepted. I had basically half of my tuition covered by scholarship. Um, and I was going to study photography. Um, that was like my goal was to do fashion photography. And I was really just interested in visual media um, and making photos. So, that's initially how I started at UNF because I ended up not going to the School of Visual Arts in New York. Um, so I was a it's actually exploratory for a little while because I wasn't so sure like about programs and I hadn't done my due diligence of looking to the photo program at UNF because I hadn't thought about it that much. Um, so I was exploratory major for a while. Can I can I interrupt yeah. you a second? Was that uh, primarily a financial decision because you brought up you know that you had half the tuition paid? Is it? It, it was financial. It um, it's a private art school in New York. Um, it's 
really expensive and I just didn't have that like upfront money and it just wouldn't have been a feasible loan. So it was, it was that kind of thing. Um, and, And I do think it's interesting for us to just pause for a second because, um, a lot of a, a lot of people are making decisions based on economic reasons, as they should, as students come out of uh, their college careers with enormous debts. Um, and so I do think one of the um, pieces of sort of these decisions um, that we should note is what uh, colleges have to offer that are closer to home. State universities are an amazing value. And I, I just wouldn't want that moment to slip by. Oh no! Like, I that you. I won't let it slip by. Trust me. I'm so okay. I'm so glad with um, the decision that I made, and I'll get into that. Um, so, yeah. So I, I started out exploratory. I was taking a few like communications courses and photo, still in line with like the idea of um, fashion photography and advertising. Um, still wanting to do that, and then. I don't know what it was. I, I had taken an art history course in high school um, and then just was taking some here and really just fell in love with it. And I found that I had a really um, strong um, authorial voice, I guess. And I could write really well about like visual analysis. And I think that came in part just from like my personal practice of photography like I just knew how to talk about photos well and I had made photos and so that so that voice I just want to interrupt because I am interested in student writing so I think it's worth noting that your voice was dependent on prior knowledge and so the more one knows the easy about a topic the easier it is to write yeah I think that primed me for the the further work of Doing art historical writing and and even visual um, visual critical studies, which is kind of where I really was starting out. I wasn't so much doing like I don't know, but then again, these these definitions are so like amorphous, right? Like, so I got into art history, switched majors a couple times, like through the next like year, and was art history, then photo, then art history, and I, my advisor was just like sick of me because <laughs> <laughs> it got to the point where it was like, okay, you can't change it again until next semester. <laughs> but I'm like, what classes do I take? The The degree portal won't show me. Um, but yeah, so ended up in art history, and I think that's been a set in stone thing for, that was for my last two years, yeah, because everything worked out requ- requirement wise and and so photo is my minor um uh, so so yeah that's where i went with that and then i started working in um just in local museums and just doing visitor experience and and ambassador work there uh which really just just submerged me in art always like i was working around art i was studying art and reading all the time looking at paintings and photographs all the time um, making connections with people in the museum field and just learning from them. And that's where I really got a better understanding of what I want to do. Um, and that's uh, working in curation, but I also would like to be like highly educated. I'd like to get my PhD and also work in curation. A lot of the times I feel like people are like, you know, they're kind of like, I don't know, dimorphic, I guess. Um, Meaning? Like usually... I, I don't know. I, there's a 
conception in the field that like I guess like curators aren't necessarily always like as educated as like someone who has a PhD in art history. And like there's truth there because you don't need you don't necessarily need a PhD to do curation to execute all the functions. However, like there are plenty of curators that have PhDs um, and specialize in really specific things and still fulfill more broad, but also more specific than other museums, more more broad uh, tasks. Tasks and yeah. yeah. So so yeah, that's that's what I would like to do. And um, I'm right now just really working on. I know I haven't talked about my research at all yet, but just working on like really figuring out. I guess the balance of like when do I go to grad school? Like when like and when do I do more field work. And right now, I'm, I guess I'm very much in a place of like doing a lot of field work. And I find that there's a lot of interesting research there. And it keeps me very object driven, right? When I'm in a museum archive looking at works, I find that's where I'm getting my most amazing scholarly ideas and paper ideas. And I'm really excited to like be able to pursue those after I graduate because I'll have a lot more time and be working in a museum full time. So, yeah. So, do talk about specifically yes. what your work is. So I guess like within my art historical aims and just um, methodology, if you will, I have always really been interested in just queer representation um, from a young age, uh, just because like from the moment I was out in high school, I was, you know, Gender Sexuality Alliance club president and super into politics and and philosophy and queer theory and stuff. At the time, I didn't know it was queer theory, but right, right. So I'm just simplifying. But now you have the language, right? Now I have more of the language, um, and so like that led me to just consume a lot of and and really seek out um, just examples of gay photographers, um, queer artists broadly speaking, and you know, you kind of see like there aren't like major textbooks on on these subjects right like so a lot of this i don't know i like to call it syllabus building and and um uh like literature reviews you you really have to kind of do by yourself i feel um like they're a lot more individual than just like picking up a textbook and seeing like all these examples now that's changing like there's more and more books coming out right um so that led me to be really interested in this photographer from the early 20th century, Bob Miser. Um, Bob Miser took photographs of just buff men, basically, and had this like self-published um, – it's kind of like a zine, but it's kind of like a magazine. It's somewhere in the middle uh, called Physique Pictorial. And it was modeled off of, at the time, what was circulating was um, muscle and – men's health magazines and that was very much like popular in terms of like the magazines that were available at the time um or at least it was like what was existent and there are all these just like photos and they're just really campy and they all have homoerotic undertones um or a lot of them do i should say and i'm just kind of like how is he making this work like i knew like I knew a lot about just the the contemporary like queer liberation movement and and you know I think like t- during this time the extent of my knowledge was probably like when Stonewall happened and I was like how are people really making like queer imagery before this and that was really interesting to me um, so I did more research in college on his work because I'd actually found out about him in high school um, 
so I did more work in college and actually did like a, for an art and feminism course I took in summer of 2021, I made a photo series responding to some of Meiser's works and some of the ideas of representation in those works. Um, and so when I got to my junior methods class in art history, we immediately, like first week, um, the professor was like, I'm not going to name him because he's shy, but uh, I was like, pick a topic, everyone. And I was like, gee, like, I don't know what I'm going to write about for the next year. I was like, but I can say the most recent thing I've written about was Bob Miser, because I also wrote like a little bit of a catalog essay style piece for for a class. It was it was very short. It's nothing substantial. And it was published with the class at the university. But um, I wrote that with the exhibition. And so I just referenced that in my conversation in the course. And um, yeah, so that's the topic I ended up picking was just Bob Miser generally and representation in that. And it wasn't really a fully fledged topic for like a while because um, I was really not sure what I wanted to talk about other, I mean, I guess specifically within the gender presentation in the photos. And that's where my mentor came in and really um, helped me establish some of the like iconographic um, arguments within the works. Well, that's going to, we can see how that is going to extend out in lots of ways. Um, you won't run out of topics to write about or think about. <laughs> Either one of you. Either one of you are going to have no problem finding ways to uh, write a dissertation. Um, have either of you applied to graduate programs? No. Um, I so my plan actually is to spend the next year starting in August in France because my family is from there. So I have the citizenship and I don't want to enter a program in grad school where I'm studying French medieval literature without like having a certain level of proficiency in reading and writing. So yeah, I'm going to go perfect that. Um, and would you consider going to graduate school in France? Is that something you're going to look yeah. To a European definitely, yeah. Um, situation. I'm looking at some schools in Belgium. I am looking at some in Germany. Um, also looking in the UK, Ireland. I think there are some universities in Ireland where I would be granted um, national tuition rather than international. Um, I yeah. Yeah, it's nice to have French citizenship. I'm lucky. Yeah, I'm lucky. that's very nice. It'd be, you know, criminal not to take advantage of it. it I think certainly so. would. <laughs> so I haven't started, but I will in that that interim um, probably reach out to grad um, professors and advisors, potential advisors, um, and kind of put my, some feelers out there and see exactly where I would like to apply. And I know you two have traveled abroad yeah. um, together. We have. Um, so uh, yes. maybe you want to talk about that and maybe how that's influenced your friendship for sure. Nothing like traveling with somebody to get to know them really well. Mm -hmm. um, and also your experience here at UNF, I imagine, is affected by that travel. Completely, yeah. Um, for, for grad school, though, just to answer for me, um, I think uh, I felt a lot of pressure – just, like, self-imposed pressure to apply, like, immediately, like, being last fall so I could start right after I graduated. Um, 
And I, I did start like crafting my applications and, and doing some of that research on, you know, what programs are out there for me. And I ultimately just ended up not feeling like I was ready. And it was a really hard realization to come to. Like I felt really bad about it. Um, but then I realized it's really for the best. Like I'm kind of happy with where I'm at in terms of my career, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I see a way forward um, in the museum space, at least for a year or two. Um, probably just a year, though. Yeah. Like I plan on applying in December for grad school. So that that will still just that will make it like what fall 24 yeah. when, when I start. So still not far away, but just a little more time to really flush out and see what else I'm, is out there. Yeah. I think that's an important thing. I think you get into school and you like school and it's it can you it can be difficult to get off the train and see what else is out there and give yourself an opportunity to experience something new and different. I think it's a great idea to take time off in between and let yourself, um, ex you know, experience, experience new Europe. things. Yeah, <laughs> experience well, just or anywhere, jobs. But Yeah, right. But I just said Europe because of Volana's. I'm not trying to be Eurocentric. I was just, like, pointing out because that's where she'll go. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. on that topic, do you want to talk about our travels? Yeah, we had a, I mean, it was about a month, right? It was a little over a month, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Like slightly over a month. Yeah, I kidnapped Gabe and <laughs> um, our other very close friend, Ireland, who has been uh, my, be was my best friend all throughout, like middle school, high school, into college. Uh, they don't go to UNF, but so it was the three of us. Um, and, uh, we, we spent some time in Paris, um, and then we, um, traveled. You to start from the beginning. Oh, right. Of course. How we, could I forget? Yeah, we, we, started... we went for, um, a little summer excursion to Barcelona. We, we were did. going to Sonar, um, which is a music and really arts and technology centered event. It resembles a... I don't know. I, I like to preface because I feel like when people hear music festival and yeah. they're coming from an American context, it's like Coachella or like, I don't know, even Woodstock. I, just yeah. like but, the image is different. Or they think it's some like European EDM. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, or like rave. Yeah. Like a yeah. rave. It, it was just it's just different. Like different, it yeah. was literally there were sessions on technology and more like ontology. South by Southwest yeah, kind of thing. Kind of, okay, yeah. I guess there is like precedent for that in America. Yeah. But but yeah, very like Euro and and it is kind of ravey. Like there's a little bit of a ra there's something for everybody, but it's ultimately just very like high concept, I feel like, yeah. is really the driving. Interested in, in like AI, incorporating yeah, AI. AI was a huge ways. topic. Yeah. Um within the performances themselves, AI occurred and there were also, also like panel discussions. So we went and mm -hmm. we Went primarily for a few artists that we really enjoy um, and had just a great time. It, I was like, okay, I'll take the speaking in Spanish part because that's the, my language series. And I'm like, Vlana, you can cover us in France. And then we were both just out of luck because <laughs> right in Barcelona, it's mostly Catalan. Like a lot of the signs are in Catalonian or just Catalan. Yeah. And um yeah, people speak Spanish, but they also feel a lot of pride in in having speak or speaking Catalan. So, Being so yeah. Catalan, yeah. So that was kind of funny. Um, it was, yeah. We we may have been stranded in the city 
at like 4 a.m. looking for. It, I don't even think it was that late, though. But the, I don't know. Their public transportation, it's great. It's bumpy as all hell. But um, <laughs> they shut down very early. And um, and it's impossible to figure out. And yeah, and when you can hardly read the signs, yeah. signs, yes, the signs and, and the, the apps, it just yeah, becomes there, a kerfluffle. There's but. nothing quite like being stranded in a country you've never been before when you hardly speak the language and you're just kind of at least that dialect of the language. <laughs> um, well, it's not a, they don't, it's not a dialect. It's it a is its own li- language. It's its own language. Really? Just like Bosch. I didn't know that. Ba- ba- yeah, Bosch. Well, there you go. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. They're it's very particular language. about it being yeah. its own language and not a dialect. Well, in its own country. <laughs> you would like it to be too. its own country. That, that is Not true. to get into Spanish yeah. unification. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but um, yeah. And it was just a really nice trip. Um, when we went to France, um, we got to go to the Musée de Cluny, which is the museum where the tapestries that I studied in my thesis are. And I just want to insert here and say that um, there is nothing quite like seeing the work that you're studying in person. So if you ever have the opportunity or a chance to do that, I mean, it it's really incredible. And it just opened me up to so many um, ideas. It's a, a completely different perspective to be right there in front of the work um, for so many reasons. Um, because, you know, the museum is, is deliberately curating a kind of space around these objects. And you don't, you will not, that will not translate if you're not there in person. Um so it, it adds another dimension to to the work, um, and that was really really useful for me, and something that, um, yeah, something that I really am so grateful I got to do. Yeah, and recognizing that curation, Susan Sontag writes a lot mm-hmm. about this. Recognizing the context, especially of art. Right, and the way in which it's curated. You're as getting into my territory oh, yeah. now. Oh, oh, good, girl. <laughs> We're talking Go. about art theory. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Curation. Um, no, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was no, but <laughs> but that is, I think, what you're recognizing, right? The way in which the the museum is curating that experience for you, and being mm-hmm. aware of it is something that you get from studying. Well, yeah. Right. Art history theory, art history I, method, access. I think yeah, access is one thing. I mean, that's. Um, you know. I think that um, it's it's an interesting subject because I totally understand where Vlana's coming from and and seeing the object in person. That's like the I think the key takeaway here is like what really strengthens the research. But um, in within curation, I guess like context is really important and. They're, they're, they all – all of the tapestries, there's, what, seven of them? Six. Six. Six tapestries. And they – you know, they're all in one space. And so I like to think that, the, like, the original setting of the, the tapestries was probably, like, a lot more, like, spread out. Oh, yeah. So it's it's interesting to kind of be just fully enclosed in the space and just every wall has a tapestry on it. escape it. It's a really yeah. nice experience for looking at all of the works in a really – central way mm-hmm. i feel um where like you can just turn to the right and then you see the other mm-hmm. one and then you can go back to the left if you need to like look at it again and i think that is really invaluable oh yeah um, yeah there were things that I, I realized things that i noticed that i i hadn't even looking at the images on my laptop for hours upon hours upon hours things that i would have not things that would have not have you know been present 
it was almost mythic too. I mean, because yeah. it's dark in there. It, yeah. It, they they really they really ham it up on the drama, and it would have yeah. been. <laughs> but it would have been hanging. It would have been. In a, yeah. In a, I'm going to use the word glum castle. Yeah. <laughs> but it, they would have been hanging in dark, damp, sure. cold spaces, and so their functionality would have been important to um, their appreciation, wouldn't you say? I mean, I think that's one of the things that's difficult to insert ourselves into in the way in which this is art, but it also was very functional um, and necessary if you were living in that kind of condition, in those conditions. Am I wrong about that? Yeah, very, yeah, very. Yeah, no, uh, totally. Um, These are all things that that we should be considering when we're talking about art um, because all of them are important. All of them impact the the reception of the work, um, the nature of the work, just the, the whole And the living. integration of art into our ordinary lives. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times museums have this um, way in which they distance us from art um, they then the art becomes an object mm-hmm. apart mm-hmm. from us, yeah. whereas when you see it in what I'm imagining is that space, you can put yourself into its original setting, and that changes your understanding of it. Well, there's, yeah, that brings me to the, I'm just so really influential text, Brian O'Doherty's um, The Theory of the White Cube, The Ideology of the Gallery Space. Um, I might have paraphrased that. But, uh, you know, he he talks about just how the white walls of the museum and its literal cube-like nature really distort your perception of the works to where you kind of... It's naturally just decontextualizing. Mm -hmm. And so... So, yeah, I think that's really kind of, I guess, curation's um, issue in the 21st century. Not that it's new to the 21st century, right? But I think something that... But museums are not that old, right, as a a concept. Several hundred years, right? Are they that old? They are. Are Well, they would have initially been, right, just like someone's collection. Right. Right, the idea of a curiosity it, yeah, cabinet, curiosity right, cabinet. In, in somebody's home, but mu- museums as a space for the hoi polloi is, is pretty new. Public institution. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and just, yeah. you know, centering scholarship rather than um, connoisseurial, yeah. like, yeah. modes of yeah. looking at art. And, yeah, and I think that's definitely one of the ways it's transforming a lot. And, we're you know, we are having these conversations about access more and more. And um, I think that there, it's going to be interesting to see like just the new ways of viewing that emerge because we're also like on this crazy crux of like technology too. And there's just so much rapidly changing while a lot of like these theories and, and discussions are becoming more mainstream. And so there's like this collision of technology and AI and also access and scholarship and just like what's the function of this place that you know yeah, keeps all these things yeah 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 libraries too i mean there are all kinds of institutions right that are go- undergoing these kind of changes and yeah i mean I, I have a lot of students now who do not go into the library 
right? That it's, they yeah, I mean, that's what everyone's telling me. Getting, that's what all the professors say. Yeah, getting people to go into the library and find it as a space of discovery mm-hmm. when they when you have a computer and you can get journal articles delivered to your desk. I mean, it is really going to change that sense of the the specialness i was going to say sacredness but then i pulled back <laughs> but the the sort of specialness of a of a library i mean i don't know how many people have carols anymore <laughs> in the library but having a carol in the library was one of my great joys when I was going to college, you know, and it was mine and I could leave my books there and you don't know what a carol I, is. I was yeah. about to ask you. Yeah, these little, <laughs> yeah, these little cells, you know, we, you, you could apply for one of them. They were just these little cells and you could keep your research books there and it was your space. Hmm. And it was, you know, it was a it was a, so it was a prison This cell. is such like a foreign concept and was, I go to library. And yeah, it, but it was wonderful. I mean, it was a wonder. I loved that space. I I could go there like to, today. You know, it was 40 years ago. I could find it today. And it was just a special space. But that there's not really a need for that. Anymore. Yeah. I find that there's like a limit to the to the way that I um, can and to the extent that I can engage with text online. Mm. I, I, I. That that. That experience of read, finding the book in person and reading it and um, doing your research with real physical copies of things. It's like going to the museum and seeing the tapestry in real like life. It is like that. It really is. And so go to the library, students. It's really... <laughs> well, I, I'm sorry. We have to wrap up. Yeah. We've, we've shot our, our time. But I'm thrilled to hear about your work. And I'm so happy— um, to have met you both, Valana, I've known for her whole four years, but Gabe, we've just gotten to know each other, and it's been a great pleasure. So thank you very much for sharing your friendship and your experience, and I wish you the very best, and I'm going to be very sad uh, when you leave me, Valana, and Gabe, now you do, because um, it's been a great pleasure well, for me. I will me. miss you. We'll, we'll keep up in the same... We, we will. Yes, but uh, I won't be able to beat up Valana in the same <laughs> way. And that, you know, <laughs> once she's out from under my thumb, what, what what will I do? It'll be... Don't worry, you're always going to be a psychic figure okay, in my head. Good, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Can I say thanks, too? Sure. Real quick. I'll wrap up real quick. But I do, I do want to say thank you. Thank you for, like this opportunity to have me on here and oh it was and definitely going to hear what i have to say thank you and thank you to everyone at unf if like professors that are listening if you are listening to this point thank you you know who you are and i appreciate mm-hmm. your support and believing in me because i really needed that and it's really helped me like find my vision and path forward yeah um i echo that and thank you dr trace for whipping me into shape yes <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks.